Chapters 5 and 6 of Book 5 of Les Miserables, Volume 4, by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Closet Weevil. Les Miserables, Volume 4, by Victor Hugo. Translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book 5. The End of Which Does Not Resemble the Beginning. Chapter 5. Cosette After the Letter As Cosette read, she gradually fell into thought. At the very moment when she raised her eyes from the last line of the notebook, the handsome officer passed triumphantly in front of the gate. It was his hour. Cosette thought him hideous. She resumed her contemplation of the book. It was written in the most charming of chirography, thought Cosette in the same hand but with divers inks sometimes very black again whitish as when ink has been added to the inkstand and consequently on different days it was then a mind which had unfolded itself there side by side irregularly without order without choice without object haphazard cosette had never read anything like it this manuscript in which she already perceived more light than obscurity produced upon her the effect of a half-open sanctuary. Each one of these mysterious lines shone before her eyes and inundated her heart with a strange radiance. The education which she had received had always talked to her of the soul, and never of love, very much as one might talk of the firebrand and not the flame. This manuscript of fifteen pages suddenly and sweetly revealed to her all of love, sorrow, destiny, life, eternity, the beginning, the end. It was as if a hand had opened and suddenly flung upon her a handful of rays of light. In these few lines she felt a passionate, ardent, generous, honest nature, a sacred will, an immense sorrow, and an immense despair, a suffering heart, an ecstasy fully expanded. What was this manuscript? A letter. A letter without name, without address, without date, without signature, pressing and disinterested an enigma composed of truths, a message of love made to be brought by an angel and read by a virgin, an appointment made beyond the bounds of earth, the love-letter of a phantom to a shade. It was an absent one, tranquil and dejected, who seemed ready to take refuge in death, and who sent to the absent love, his lady, the secret of fate, the key of life, love. This had been written with one foot in the grave and one finger in heaven, these lines, which had fallen one by one on the paper, were what might be called drops of soul. Now, from whom could these pages come? Who could have penned them? Cosette did not hesitate for a moment, one man only. He! Day had dawned once more in her spirit. All had reappeared. She felt an unheard-of joy and a profound anguish. It was he, he who had written. He was there. It was he whose arm had been thrust through that railing. While she was forgetful of him, he had found her again. But had she forgotten him? No, never. She was foolish to have thought so for a single moment. She had always loved him, always adored him. The fire had been smothered and had smothered for a time, but she saw all plainly now. It had but made headway, and now it had burst forth afresh, and had inflamed her whole being. This notebook was like a spark which had fallen from that other soul into hers. She felt the conflagration starting up once more. 
she imbued herself thoroughly with every word of the manuscript. Oh, yes, said she. How perfectly I recognize all that. That is what I had already read in his eyes. As she was finishing it for the third time, Lieutenant Theodule passed the gate once more and rattled his spurs upon the pavement. Cosette was forced to raise her eyes. She thought him insipid, silly, stupid, useless, foppish, displeasing, impertinent, and extremely ugly. The officer thought it his duty to smile at her. She turned away as in shame and indignation. She would gladly have thrown something at his head. She fled, re-entered the house, and shut herself up in her chamber to peruse the manuscript once more, to learn it by heart and to dream. When she had thoroughly mastered it, she kissed it and put it in her bosom. All was over. Cosette had fallen back into deep, seraphic love. The abyss of Eden had yawned once more. All day long, Cosette remained in a sort of bewilderment. She scarcely thought. Her ideas were in the state of a tangled skein in her brain. She could not manage to conjecture anything. She hoped through a tremor. What? Vague things. She dared make herself no promises, and she did not wish to refuse herself anything. Flashes of pallor passed over her countenance, and shivers ran through her frame. It seemed to her, at intervals, that she was entering the land of chimeras. She said to herself, Is this reality? Then she felt of the dear paper within her bosom under her gown. She pressed it to her heart. She felt its angles against her flesh. And if Jean Valjean had seen her at the moment, he would have shuddered in the presence of that luminous and unknown joy, which overflowed from beneath her eyelids. Oh, yes, she thought. It is certainly he. This comes from him and is for me. And she told herself that an intervention of angels, a celestial dance, had given him back to her. O oh, transfiguration of love, O oh, dreams! That celestial dance, that intervention of the angels, was a pellet of bread tossed by one thief to another thief, from the Charlemagne courtyard to the lion's ditch, over the roofs of La Force. End of chapter 5 Chapter 6 Old People Are Made to Go Out Opportunely when evening came, Jean Valjean went out. Cosette dressed herself. She arranged her hair in the most becoming manner, and she put on a dress whose bodice had received one snip of the scissors too much, and which, through this slope, permitted a view of the beginning of her throat, and was, as young girls say, a trifle indecent. It was not in the least indecent, but it was prettier than usual. She made her toilet thus, without knowing why she did so. Did she mean to go out? No. Was she expecting a visitor? No. At dusk she went down to the garden. Toussaint was busy in her kitchen, which opened to the backyard. She began to stroll under the trees, thrusting aside the branches from time to time with her hand, because there were some which hung very low. In this manner she reached the bench. The stone was still there. She sat down and gently laid her white hand on this stone as though she wished to caress and thank it. All at once she experienced that indefinable impression which one undergoes when there is someone standing behind one, even when she does not see the person. She turned her head and rose to her feet. It was he. His head was bare. He appeared to have grown thin and pale. His black clothes were hardly discernible. 
The twilight threw a wan light on his fine brow and covered his eyes in shadows. Beneath the veil of incomparable sweetness, he had something about him that suggested death and night. His face was illuminated by the light of the dying day and by the thought of a soul that is taking flight. He seemed to be not yet a ghost, and he was no longer a man. He had flung away his hat in the thicket, a few paces distant. Cosette, though ready to swoon, uttered no cry. She retreated slowly, for she felt herself attracted. He did not stir. By virtue of something ineffable and melancholy which enveloped him, she felt the look in his eyes which she could not see. Cosette, in her retreat, encountered a tree and leaned against it. Had it not been for this tree, she would have fallen. Then she heard his voice, that voice which she had really never heard, barely rising above the rustle of the leaves and murmuring, Pardon me, here I am. My heart is full. I could not live on as I was living, and I have come. Have you read what I placed there on the bench? Do you recognize me at all? Have no fear of me. It is a long time, you remember the day, since you looked at me at the Luxembourg, near the gladiator. And the day when you passed before me, it was on the 16th of June and the 2nd of July. It is nearly a year ago. I have not seen you for a long time. I inquired of the woman who let the chairs, and she told me that she no longer saw you. You lived in the Rue de l'Ouest, on the third floor, in the front apartments of a new house. You see that I know. I followed you. What else was there for me to do? And then you disappeared. I thought I saw you pass once while I was reading the newspapers under the arcade of the Odeon. I ran after you, but no, it was a person who had a bonnet like yours. At night I came hither. Do not be afraid. No one sees me. I come to gaze upon your windows near at hand. I walk very softly so that you may not hear, for you might be alarmed. The other evening I was behind you, you turned round, I fled. Once I heard you singing. I was happy. Did it affect you because I heard you singing through the shutters? That could not hurt you. No, it is not so. You see, you are my angel. Let me come sometimes. I think that I am going to die. If you only knew. I adore you. Forgive me. I speak to you, but I do not know what I am saying. I may have displeased you. Have I displeased you? Oh, my mother, she said, and she sank down as though on the point of death. He grasped her. She fell. He took her in his arms. He pressed her close without knowing what he was doing. He supported her as though he was tottering himself. It was as though his brain were full of smoke. Lightning started between his lips. His ideas vanished. It seemed to him that he was accomplishing some religious act, and that he was committing a profanation. Moreover, he had not the least passion for this lovely woman whose force he felt against his breast. He was beside himself with love. She took his hand and laid it on her heart. He felt the paper there. He stammered, You love me, then? She replied in a voice so low that it was no longer anything more than a barely audible breath. Hush! Thou knowest it. And she hid her blushing face on the breast of the superb and intoxicated young man. He fell upon the bench, and she beside him. They had no words more. The stars were beginning to gleam. How did it come to pass that their lips met? 
how comes it to pass that the birds sing that snow melts that the rose unfolds that may expands that the dawn grows white beyond the black trees of the shivering crest of the hills a kiss and that was all both started and gazed into the darkness with sparkling eyes they felt neither the cool night nor the cold stone nor the damp earth nor the wet grass they had looked at each other and their hearts were full of thoughts they had clasped hands unconsciously she did not ask him she did not even wonder how he had entered there and how he had made his way into the garden it seemed so simple to her that he should be there from time to time marius's knee touched cosette's knee and both shivered at intervals cosette stammered a word her soul fluttered on her lips like a drop of dew on a flower little by little they began to talk to each other effusion followed silence which is fullness the night was serene and splendid overhead these two beings pure as spirits told each other everything their dreams their intoxications their ecstasies their chimeras their weaknesses how they had adored each other from afar how they had longed for each other their despair when they had ceased to see each other they confided to each other in an ideal intimacy which nothing could augment their most secret and most mysterious thoughts they related to each other with candid faith in their illusions all that love youth and the remains of childhood which still lingered about them suggested to their minds their two hearts poured themselves out into each other in such wise that at the expiration of a quarter of an hour it was the young man who had the young girl's soul and the young girl who had the young man's soul each became permeated with the other they were enchanted with each other they dazzled each other when they had finished when they had told each other everything she laid her head on his shoulder and asked him what is your name my name is marius said he and yours my name is cosette end of book 5 chapter 6